right, welcome to another episode of Lonely Town, a killer's podcast with Derek and Jimmy. Today, our special guest is Ryan Party, who many Killers fans will know as the captain or as Santa from some of the Christmas videos. Um, but as I've learned more about Ryan and his history with the band, one of the words that came to mind was was Renaissance man. But then I also thought uh, it's more likely, I guess, a better description would be most interesting man in the world, <laughs> because we'll get into to some of the reasons why I think that's that's the case. But I guess, Ryan, when I, one of the things I want to start by asking you is about the earliest interactions you had with the band. I understand you your your brother was friends with Ronnie in high school. Is that correct? Yeah, um, I was definitely friends with Ronnie first. I Ronnie was already kind of the the ace drummer. He he kind of played in all the good bands in town. He was kind of sleeping around with all the band, all the best bands. And by the time he got to the Killers, he was he'd already played in all the biggest bands in town. It was like he'd, he'd gotten really close. This is old news to hardcore Killers fans. Uh, Ronnie got really close with uh, Attaboy Skip. He had another great record uh, band called uh, Expert on October and, um, and so on and so forth. But I met Ronnie actually in eighth grade. Um, he was uh, touting the music program at his high school. And I actually already knew who he was um, through my brother and through... Just um, he was a few years older than me, so I looked up to him as 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 one will at that age, as kind of a legend. Even though he was just a probably a, a pretty decent drummer in high school, you know. And he also drove this really cool black Volkswagen, and and worked at the health store around the corner or the grocery store. So I knew who Ronnie was. He 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 kind of had a cool swagger even back then, and. Uh, and yeah, he was friends with my brother Rod, and they played music together. And uh, yeah, so going back, dating back to about nineteen ninety-two or three, I guess, is when I met Ronnie. And then, how did you get involved at such a young age in Cafe Roma? I understand you were were you own, owning it, or were you just managing it? Squatting. I was a squatter. <laughs> um, you know that's interesting. So. I I actually worked at In-N-Out Burger. Um, that was my first job. And then I, I decided that wasn't very cool. Um, and that's when I grew the beard. I quit In-N-Out and I grew a beard. And I was like, where can you, you know, work, you know, and where a beard is respected? And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Starbucks. And, and of course, I did what, what any kid would do. And I got a job at Starbucks and a barista. And then I... I got a job at Roma and then they told us, you know, and Roma at this point was already well established. It was um, an institution for the entire university district. Back in those days, it was where all the artists hung out. All the kids that were, I wasn't that sophisticated. I thought, oh, this is where the cool kids are. You know, the kids that listen to Morrissey, you know? And uh, and so I started hanging out in there and I, 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 I would meet friends there. And this is where a lot of really cool shows would happen back in the day. Um, so I took the job as a, a barista and, and then a little while later, they said they're going to close the place. So I, I was like, you know, full of ambition. I didn't realize what a terrible business running a coffee shop is, you know, 
because everybody sat around and smoked cigarettes and paid for a dollar a cup of coffee. Back then, coffee was a dollar. Dating <laughs> myself, so they'd spend a dollar and they would, they would, uh, you know, talk. This was yeah, people weren't even on laptops really. This late '90s, early 2000s, and 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 then the cool artists would come in and. And so I had a meeting with the owner and, and I kind of agreed to take it over as owner, but I don't know what I owned. And I did, I certainly didn't have any business licenses. You know? uh, and, and we were paying rent and then, you know, anytime a, a serious, there was no business plan. You know, we, our plan was to serve coffee. And the problem was, is that we probably gave away half, the coffee in the place for free because everybody was our friends but during that time we had some really cool shows you know the killers played there with hot hot heat wow. uh that do you, that's that's pretty well documented i think um, i didn't know about that so so this uh, you know rumor has it uh you know that uh indie rock and roll the song off of uh you know a, a coffee shop with a cause man i'll freak you out that was about cafe roma and it was ironic uh, Brandon actually didn't like the coffee shop. Um, so when I started working at the coffee shop, of course, the killers, Brandon was a very humble kid, you know, very sweet, um, at that time. And he knew that the cafe was one of the places, one of the few places, uh, that you could play in Las Vegas at that time. So when I, you know, when I met Brandon, I think he was, uh, he, he was definitely underage still. And, I think he was uh, tipping back a Coors Light or two out in the parking lot. And we can't have that. So I had to, I had to um, say, look, kid, you can't drink out here. You know, I think he was having a couple of brewskis to loosen up for the show. You know, so one of my first interactions with Brandon was, uh, you know, saying, hey, man, you can't drink in the parking lot. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, there are some, I don't have them, boy, but I've seen them. I wish I did. There's some funny photos from those shows at the cafe. One of them includes Brandon singing his heart out. And there's a guy, you know, reading the newspaper, like right here, like right at the front of the stage at the cafe. <laughs> Couldn't care less, you know, and, and he's reading like the weekly newspaper. My friend got a photo of that at one point. And that, that shows you... The kind of response they were getting in Las Vegas at that time, uh, you know, legend has it now. Uh, I wasn't there, but uh, their first, uh, I think, their first live performance was open mic night at uh, Cafe Espresso Roma, and uh, they played, I believe, Mr. Brightside and Under the Gun uh, at at open mic night. I think that was their first performance. Of course, they they made some other good friends in the community who I'm. I'm still friends with to this day and we, we throw events periodically, but some of my early memories are, are that I remember seeing them at, I believe the junkyard early on and uh, with a different bass player and drummer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Allie, there's a female bass player named Allie who played with them briefly She's no longer with us. She passed away, but uh, she was uh, she was in the band back then for a, a hot second. And then I think uh, Mark Stormer started hanging out at the cafe. I became particularly friendly with him. I think he just joined the band, and I really became good friends with Mark. 
And that's who my best friend in the band was, still is. But especially then, he was kind of an agoraphobic guy. I mean, didn't leave the house much. I think at that time, Mark was uh, delivering blood. So talk about a gothy dude, right? You know, he, um, yeah, he was delivering blood and he'd come into the coffee shop. And I think he didn't really talk much. He's still a man of few words, unless you get him going. Then he'll, he'll talk your ear off all night. Not your ear off, but he'll, he's down to hold a, an important conversation, but he doesn't suffer fools, you know? So, but he, he, he enjoyed the coffee shop. He saw it was a place for outsiders and, and we became really close. I figured out how to make his tuna sandwich just the way he likes it. So he didn't really have to explain that over, you know, over and over again. And, uh, and then I think Dave, geez, you know, I didn't really become good friends with Dave till later, but around the same time I was running the coffee shop, I was also DJing um around town and i started djing this might be old news to your listeners you know at this club called sasha's or uh, switch names over there it's called tramps and it was called sasha's and it was kind of in a seedy part of town um and back then when you'd go to a bar in las vegas or a club it was all this jock rock everywhere you'd go you know and and if you like Slipknot and those kinds of things, that, that that was the culture. Around the same time at the cafe, a little band out of New York City was making a splash across the pond before the Killers, and they were called the Strokes. And the Strokes were happening, and the Postal Service, and the Rapture, and I was already collecting records. I started DJing at this one little bar, and then I started a Sunday night at this uh, cafe with my friend Manny. And it was kind of interesting. It was it, there was a transgender bar, but basically you had these six foot transgender folk uh, doing their drag shows on Monday through Saturday, but Sunday they had no programming. So it was kind of a cool, dark vibe in there. And so my friend Manny and I started going there. We DJ, we play all like new wave eighties and he'd play like some electro clash stuff and, 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 because of the the normal clientele that would be there we ended up attracting a lot of girls and it was a it was all the girls that liked that cool music that was coming out but they weren't being served ryan party will serve you <laughs> um in fact uh well my wife was there she's sitting over here right now but uh she was there early on dancing underage it was also a key part of the story is that it was 18 and over and uh, in Las Vegas, a lot of the uh, the nightclubs there, they're all, obviously it's a twenty-one and over town. So for a brief moment, we had this situation where I was catching lightning in a bottle, and I was at this time what I was playing was considered, you know, progressive, and and it, it was definitely nothing. Nobody else was doing it in Las Vegas. A couple people now, Ozzy and the Rockers guys, there's these uh, Latino gents that were kind of simultaneously doing it. And that story has been told. I, at that time, they were, we were, they were doing something completely different. And I, I wasn't uh, familiar with them. We became friends later on and combined forces many times since then. But at this time, it was just me and my friend Manny doing these new wave dance parties and they were fire. Okay, well, I alluded to this earlier. 
the killers were playing and they didn't really have a big following. Well, Ronnie was kind of popular, but Brandon, you know, he's a bit of a wallflower at this time. Like I said, he, I, I don't know, you know, he's working at the, the restaurant and I think he was a bellhop or bellman at the Gold Coast. I, another time I remember meeting him around this era, I went with some guys on Sunday to watch football. I don't really care about football, but I ran into that sweet little, you know, Brandon Flowers. He was there with his, his uniform on. I was like, hey, hey, that's that kid from that band, The Killers. <laughs> you know, I was like, I like them. They're going to be something. Um, so I was kind of a big deal. <laughs> and and to, to put it, you know, at that point. In a way, I was I was kind of a curator of the entire Las Vegas music. Not the entire Las Vegas. Come on. How cool am I? But I was really getting a lot of attention. These these nights were very full, very full of energy. And and I remember Ronnie, when they started getting some some heat, some uh, some interest and some labels, they'd already joined with their management. I'd known Ronnie for a long time. And I was becoming friends with Mark. And then I think shortly before this, I... You know, I remember seeing the, the first version of uh, the band we know now with Mark and Ronnie uh, in the rhythm section. I think that was at the, for me, that was at the uh, Crown and Anger. And it's this little British bar by the university. Not really, not really a stage. There. They were just kind of playing in a corner. And that was the first time I heard, um, or I remember hearing Smile Like You Mean It. And thinking to myself, damn if i can only hear the keyboard i think that's a hook and i always thought that was their big hit i was like that's that was the moment I'm like brandon you gotta make sure that keyboard's louder man uh you got a song there with that smile like you mean it i didn't think it was bright side you know for me it was smile like you mean it that got me uh and under the gun uh which was a b-side but uh I digress. So, but that was the first night I saw them at uh, at the Crown, and I was like, okay, this is, you know, we knew they were they had talent, but that's when it clicked, and I made the decision that that the Killers were gonna be the biggest thing to ever come out of Vegas. So I was doing these Sundays. Ronnie comes to me, he's like, "Hey, party, you know, we uh, we got all the labels coming out to see us, and uh, he wanted to know if they could play on a Sunday night." And uh, that that's, uh, you know, that was a lot of record industry folks came in. It was a sweaty evening. And uh, and I don't know if they got signed that night, but it sure let, that was one of the first nights where, you know, we, we, we knew things were, were taken off. Was that your question? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So I've also read or heard that uh, about your your 25th birthday party at the Ice House. Is that? Was it the yeah, yeah. So they got signed that night and then let's see yeah it was my 25th birthday i've told this story before uh it was this uh another bar i was djing at and that's right they asked me to dj their um it was uh like the record release the a and r guy rob stevenson the guy who signed him this was kind of like him it was a showcase for the Killers, February 25th, 2004. And I know because it was my birthday. And they were, this was kind of their their first party launch. And there's, there's all just industry people. 
they were playing with the other acquisition of Island Def Jam or Rob Stevenson, and that was a, a band called The Bronx. Is that in your quiz information? So The Bronx is that bingo. Yeah. Do you know The Bronx? Uh, somebody just got on their bingo card. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So, so The Bronx actually, you know, are kind of this hard, heavy hitting kind of punk, hard rock band. They're awesome. Uh, they put on, I, I booked them later on at the bunkhouse a few times and, and they actually, they still do a good, a good business, but they did not take off the way the killers did. So we had this hard rock band, the Bronx and, and the killers uh, that night playing on my 25th birthday. And yeah, at, at some point I think Ronnie said, yay party, you want to be our tour manager? I was like, all right. Yeah. Okay. So February 25th. You guys know when when does Hot Fuss come out? I think it came out in June of 04. Um, and I think uh, but they'd already had the two singles uh kind of percolating over in the UK. Right? They had um and, and the Lizard King uh record deal going. So they're kind of picking up some steam. I know somebody told me and uh uh Mr. Brightside, Mark had sent me a couple advanced copies of Seven Inches on vinyl. I don't know. You guys are journalists. You can fact check this, but I think I'm the first DJ to ever spin it. And uh, The Killers of the United States on vinyl. Pretty positive, actually. But uh, there might be another DJ out of San Francisco that possibly did named Aaron Axelson. He was playing. He was their manager, Braden Merrick, at that time. Uh, had some good relationships with the gentleman up there. Uh, what is it? Is it K Rock in San Francisco too? What's their radio station? Anyway, this guy was shortly after me, um, but uh, so I got hired on that night, and I believe my first day on the job was March sixteenth, or March fifteenth or sixteenth, around there. It was my job to go. Now the band had loaded up the trailer. I had to go pick up the van and trailer, and uh, and pick up a guy I'd never met before from Nephi, Utah. Uh, Wyatt, Wyatt. 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 Yeah. So Wyatt was uh, Wyatt and I were the killers' crew for America. At this point, they had a an English crew. Um, guy named gilbert and a couple of you know maybe two or three they had like a two or three man crew over there but wyatt and i were you know we were hired we were the a team and you know i i remember at that point what's he i said 2004 i think i went on on the uh, internet i went on to ask jeeves um and i said what does a tour manager do you know? <laughs> i think i found like some article on ask jeeves uh about billy joel's tour manager <laughs> and i kind of just like what does a tour manager do <laughs> but i just said yes you know that was always my policy it still is like I don't, you don't know what the hell you're doing but i said yes to say yes and things will happen right and i i told you i'll, I'll never forget there's a day in the cafe one of the journalists came in and they they'd heard that the killers were uh picking up some steam and uh, the editor of City Life, I believe. It was, yeah, I won't name names on that. Uh, but I said, mark my words, this is going to be the biggest story to ever come out of Las Vegas. And he said, yeah, right. Oh, that's a bunch <laughs> of 
Punch Eye. He later gave me credit for my early, uh, I don't know what you call it, prophecy. But I, you know, I, um, so let's see, we're rewinding. The cafe closed. Back to your original question, but the cafe closed November of 2003, Thanksgiving Day. So I found myself without a job. Uh, I was just kind of DJing here and there. And even that, we were starting to get some heat and it had become 21 and over. It was kind of killing that night and my, my DJ nights. And Ronnie offers me this job like three months after. I'm kind of a C, you know, getting C's at UNLV at the time or dropping out. And I was like, all right, I just, I'm kind of a mediocre student. So I'll go. And this was a six week gig, you know, I was like, all right, I'll, I don't know what I'm doing right now. This sounds fun. Um, and we went out and we had, uh, so Wyatt and I were driving to uh, Austin. <sighs> I don't know. I, he's not much of a driver and, and he, he wasn't much. Uh, I won't say, you know, Wyatt and I are still dear friends, but we were not prepared for what, what was going to happen. And we didn't time block the drive very well or driving with a van and trailer. We were a little late, but we actually got thrown under the bus on that. The band's flight was late and their manager missed getting their rental car. There's no way they, they missed their, their, their South by Southwest official showcase. Uh, that's true. I've been blamed by the record company for that, but the fact of the matter is I was there in time. It was the band who showed up late. Now they wanted me to drive to Houston and then drive back to Austin because that's where their flight came in from. They're they're out touring, doing that two-week run with British Sea Power. So they missed that official showcase. The first show that uh we did with them was at a, a place called stubs it was one of these industry showcases it, the killers already had the big label push at that point I, I think the hives were playing and a few other hot bands at that point it was all hosted by by uh david cross and um that was awesome because he was you know just riffing and uh <laughs> And we got through that. We played a couple little private shows and then we were off. We were, we were doing a six week run opening up for a band. Anybody? 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 Stella Star. Open up for Stella Star. And uh, we were just playing a little 200 capacity clubs, a little 100 capacity opening for Stella Star. Hot on the heels of their new single, My Coco. And they were kind of uh, you know, it was kind of cool to be with them, but you know, we, yeah, we were playing 250 caps each night, except for I think New York. I think we finally, that's where they're from, and that's this is where. Have you boys watched that uh, 2000 that movie? What was that movie we went and saw? Meet Me in the Bathroom. No. You should watch that if you get get a, a, a some more texture on the time and era. And that that just came out. We saw it in the theater just a few weeks ago. But that was about the New York scene of the late 90s up through 2001 the twin towers falling uh 9-11 up almost to the killers basically and then we rolled in uh we we opened up for the killers or for for stella star there honestly the tour was going pretty uneventful i guess it was exciting because it was our first tour in this country is so huge and we were just you know driving I think we were leaving that first show in Austin. And I look back 
at um, I'm driving the band and I, I say, hey, guys, they're approving artwork. That's right. We're still approving the artwork. Yeah, we've got like the first copies of Hot Fuss. That's pretty uh-huh. cool. We're like, they're in the back of the van looking at it. And, I don't like this. No, no. You know, you know, that's not how I thought it would look. Um, and, and I said, and I say, you know, how many records you guys think you're going to sell? You know? And, um, I, I said, what, 500,000 or so? And Ronnie goes, 8 million records. And I just let out a big laugh. I thought he was crazy. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's hit 8 million yet. How many has Hot Fuss sold? I don't know. I think it's close. I think I think it's close. You could probably Google that and fact check. But uh, that that was what they said, and I just let out the biggest laugh. We had a great time on that tour. I was the, I did you know Jeeves didn't help me out with on that article that I looked up, and uh, you know I wasn't doing anything Billy Joel's man. But we didn't miss any shows. We didn't miss any interviews. I was like scheduling their interviews, and and on that tour, Stella Star had a their tour manager, which was a guy named Jeremy Bates. And that, that's that's their tour manager to this day. Jeremy and I became great friends. And, you know, towards the end of the tour, there was always pressure to have me fired. Boys, the label did not want this guy around. I probably got fired nine times. Or let go, okay? I was never fired. I was like, there's no job for you. Then they would ask me to come back and do something. I'd drive, I did merch. I what was it Jeremy's assistant. I was the band's assistant. I kind of helped them with their website. I kind of created this character for their fan club called the Captain. And we did these stupid interviews that were bad. You know, I was trying to help them build their fan base. I was gonna write some blogs and and that 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 kind of was hot fuss. And then uh Toward as that tour, you know, that t- first tour kind of uh, launched. Uh, I think we were in played at the Larimer Lounge. All right, here's a factoid. We we're playing at the. You know where the Larimer Lounge is? It's in Denver. Hmm. It's some little hole in the wall venue. We were playing with Stella Star. The night before, we played in Lawrence, and we didn't. Stella Star wasn't playing in Lawrence. It was just the Killers by themselves. Sorry, guys. So this is. Early April or late March? This must be early April or mid, early to mid April. The Killers play in Lawrence, Kansas, big college town. I counted 14 people in the audience. Wow. April 2004. So then we go play the Larimer Lounge to a half sold Denver crowd of Stella Star fans. Maybe there's not even half. There's probably 75 people there. And I get a call, and it's uh, the band's agent. They have this guy named Kirk Sommer. Still this day, he's an awesome guy. Uh, He's like, hey, party. Looks like the boys caught Morrissey's eye. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody loved Morrissey. Brandon, at that point in the career... Brandon's biggest dream could be to be Morrissey. That was it. You know, he was trying to be Morrissey all over Hot Fuss. He can, but uh, th- so Morrissey was playing a week or six days, I think, at the Wiltern Theater. 
and uh, and he asked us to play. I think we were able to join for two, so we canceled. Did we cancel on you guys? I think we canceled on you guys. Salt Lake got canceled for the killers. I'm sure Stella Star did great, guys. I don't know if you were there. <laughs> um, and I, I I drove to L.A. and uh, kind of another sleepless. This is a, I did a lot of not sleeping and a lot of driving all night long to get these guys across this great country we call America uh, on that hot fuss tour on that first run. Cause we played 29 shows in 30 days at times in America and they didn't, those guys never drove. So we played the show with Morrissey by this time, you know, the, the people really in the know, we're, uh, we're catching on to what was going on in the UK. And the killers were picking up some steam. So the LA show started to have a few... Like, oh, these are killers fans. I think you guys are going to have to fact check. I'm sure your fans are going to call me out on something. But I think uh, when we were in Seattle, we, we, we so then we raced up to Portland to open up for Stella Star after the first Morrissey show. Or we played the, no, no, do we play both those Morrissey shows together? At any rate, race up to Portland, another kind of mediocre show with Stella Star at a place called Burbati's Pan. It's like a Lebanese restaurant that has shows. And then we played, and I think this is the day, or right around there, within one or two days, hot, uh, they release, somebody told me, in the United States. And we played at the Crocodile. And there were fans there for the killers. And then we had to, I think, race all the way down to... Uh, we had to we had to uh, race down to San Francisco uh, to play at a place called the Great American Music Hall. The tickets were not selling. And Hot Fuzz came out two days before. Suddenly the show sold out. Wow. Um, not hot fuss. Somebody Same told me. Yeah. And I remember walking by Stella Star's dressing room. Jeremy, their tour manager, me, the killer's tour manager. Uh, uh, Jeremy is walking back to tell Stella Star, hey guys, congratulations. We sold out the show. <laughs> and I just uh, chuckled. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I love, love, if Stella Star listens to this, I love Stella Star, but it was clear what was happening. You know, Killer Mania was just ramping up. And then we went down, played a cool show, I think, at the Troubadour. It's like a little private one. Industry was all starting to pick up Killer Mania. Killer Mania was starting to really happen. And we played this Casbah show in San Diego, another 250, 300 cap club. And then we played Coachella and people descended upon. And that's when I really, if you want to say, Ryan, what was the moment when Killer Mania began? And it was then, because we brought out the choir for all these things that it was, we played the daytime. And uh, I just remember the, the tent was sweaty. Thousand, maybe, I don't know what those tents hold, three, four, five thousand people. And, and it was game on. 
Uh, and that was that, that's kind of that kind of wrapped up what I'll call chapter one of the killer's rise. And I think what hot fuss came out then. So when you're uh, crisscrossing the country, driving all across this great land, you have any yeah. uh, good stories that come to mind of just interaction with the band? I know there's always good road stories. Sure, sure. I mean, I told you that one story looking back at the van and, and Ronnie telling me 8 million. Another one was, you know, Ask Jeeves did not tell me that when you go into Canada, you need to have some paperwork, bro. <laughs> and and their, their manager didn't either. I got blamed on this too. And, but I, I didn't get whatever the, the proper uh, paper paperwork was for uh to, to to go to canada we got stopped at the border i came up with the bright idea to drive to another border it was also snowing we we're sliding all over the road it was the scariest drive ever we finally snuck into canada which by the way we got away with and i think still haunts them to this day i think it still comes up and we play a couple of those shows. I think on the way out, I decided, hey guys, let's let's take the van and trailer through a self-cleaning car wash. And we broke the car wash in Toronto. And as <laughs> as we're driving, I'm like, I'm like, we got we're we're kind of leaving. I realized we broke it, and the car wash guy is kind of walking up to me like, hey, wow. Uh, he had a funny accent. I'm not allowed to do it. He says, "Hey, you uh, you broke my my arm." He said, "Not my real arm, but my car wash arm." <laughs> and, and we all just laughed, and I kind of peeled out, and he was like running after us. So we we committed a couple of small crimes in in um, in Canada, and uh, that was fun. And uh, and I don't think they're fugitives, but you know. <laughs> If the band feels generous, at some point I'd say they should uh, find that guy. Yeah, give him a fix his car wash arm. When I was selling T-shirts, I was always, I don't know, I've always been a little bit of a hustler. Now I feel bad about this because sometimes these venues would try to charge a bunch of money. And I think there's a couple of venues where the band never liked to, either they would take like 20, 30% of your T-shirt sales money. And, uh, you know, I think I skipped out on a few of those venues. And I apologize for that. That was kind of something I did for the band that wasn't so, not so proud of. And now that I kind of run like a small indie music venue, not anymore. But um, when I ran the bunkhouse, you know, we should have probably, it's not like these venues are making a bunch of money. You know, you, you make a, a hit here and there and, you know, why shouldn't they be allowed to take a piece of the merchandise? I guess it's uh, it makes sense. But sometimes these people really stick it to the bands. Um, other funny stories. Uh, fugitives in Canada. You know, I'm trying to tell the PG-13. Now, it's not X-rated. I'm a boring band, guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, you are in Vegas. You are in Vegas. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was there for the, the tour where... The band was not so much trying to, they didn't think, you know, they needed to, Brandon wasn't the great spiritual leader that he is now or whatever. The, the, the Mormon uh, 
the good outstanding member of the community that he is you know and and he, and he he and i used to have a good time together um I think I remember driving him uh, through Idaho on his 21st birthday. Real simple stuff here, you know. And, uh, and I think uh, we're in southern Utah, heading to a show in Reno. This is all in Hot Fuss. I don't know, it was one of his early birthdays. He could have been 21 or 22. And all Brandon wanted for his birthday was McDonald's. The guy likes McDonald's. And he likes to drink Coca-Cola and smoke cigarettes. But he doesn't do that anymore, I don't think. I like the Coca-Cola. He likes a Coca-Cola, a Coke and a smoke. You know, the old Brandon Flower special. So with Wyatt, uh, did any Nephi stories ever come up? We're we're both from Nephi. Yeah, right, 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 right. This is Lonely Town. Yeah, I mean, it was just a I kind of looked at your uh your site. You know, I I think Wyatt would Wyatt was so whiny, you know, like he was just some girl in Nephi. Do you know who this girl is? Had just Probably broken his heart and it's the last time i've ever heard Wyatt whine like this because he did it all tour long especially on the, that trip to austin all night long Wyatt talking about this girl back in nephi what are they what are they doing with those girls up in nephi that made him break Wyatt so badly i don't think Wyatt's been the same since can't live that rock and roll lifestyle i guess they don't like it do they did, uh, did Brandon ever mention Nephi or, or anything about growing up or being around there? Yeah, he, he talked about it, but uh, he didn't romanticize it so much. You know, it was just kind of, that's that's Nephi. You know, it was just the one stuff, you know, what is all the lyrics you guys can, you know, use? You know, you can, you guys probably find all the references. You start town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's all Nephi, you know. Uh, I remember those early shows in Salt Lake. I'd be selling T-shirts, and like Brandon said, "Can you, can you, uh, can you take care of my cousins? Get a T-shirt." I'm like, "Yeah, man. What, which one?" I said, "Oh, there's like 40 people out here. Which one's your cousin?" No, those are my cousins. You know, <laughs> like they might. I might not even be exaggerating. It might be 60. It was like a lot of cousins came out of the woodworks. And we're, you know, you know, and uh, very supportive, uh, of course. But I was just like, wow. So, you know, at that point, I, he wasn't ashamed of Mormon being a Mormon, but he also didn't talk about it. I think he was still trying to keep some rock and roll mystique at that point. And, you know, I know he's since changed. He'll speak about it. And, you know, he's not ashamed. or He wasn't then, but he just didn't really talk about that. I think he liked talking about vegas things he loved talking about brit rock you know uh i i got some sense of what uh nephi was through some of the music and the characters in those songs um why probably told me some stories you know i don't know they, he just talked about playing these scrappy little golf courses around there i like to golf brandon big golfer you know do you know what courses he played around there? Okay. We just have a little nine-hole course in Nephi. Uh-huh. And then, you know, there's a couple other smaller ones around and Gladstone and Payson. And... I didn't really get into golf until Brandon, you know, till after I was done with the Killers, really. I didn't really start golf until I was 30. And, you know, I always knew his, what's his cousin's Craig Barlow or? Yeah, Craig. You know, pro had the longest putt ever or something. 
Is that his claim to fame? Right? I didn't know that. I knew he was a uh, pro, but yeah, I, I I think he he hit some insane putt in. <laughs> I I looked him up a couple times, you know, just to see what I think it was a putt or it was some crazy chip. It's a wild one. Um, so you know, he talked a little bit about golf, and you know, I don't know, you know, uh, we talked about a lot of Vegas things. Those were oh, one of the first times Brandon and I were ever in the same room together but we didn't know each other yet was on Morrissey's uh, 1998 tour. Um, Vox Hall and I, Brandon was there at uh, the great salt lake. Great salt air. Salt air. We saw Morrissey there and the opening band was the smoking popes. And, and Brent White was there too. Huh. And none of us knew each other. I didn't know Brandon until for another four, four years at that time, five years. And we were all there together, uh, and we all we've talked about that show many times, and how because uh, Morrissey skipped Vegas on that tour, and that, that was always kind of what a Brandon and I's great uh, bonds was Morrissey early on. You know, not a lot of people liked Morrissey then or now, really. So I mean, uh, that was always something we had in common. But yeah, never got to, you know, he would talk about golfing and, and things like that. And I, I never took, but then he had shoulder surgery a few years back. And I don't think he's, I don't think he's golfed since then. Hmm. So that might've been 10 years ago too, because I, I tried to get him to go golfing and he, he, he never wants to go. Maybe it's, you know, my, my father was a professional bowler, you know, and once he, uh, once he uh, stopped you know, being at the top of his game, he uh, he kind of uh, never wanted to bowl again. He didn't bowl the last 20, 25 years of his life. Hmm. More than that, I remember dad passed away in 2020. I used to go watch him bowl league in the 80s after he retired from bowling to become a professional poker player. So uh, my dad and uh, so very competitive type guy. I think Brandon always kind of thought that was cool. You know, he kind of made up that fake character about my brother. My brother's nothing at all like that song, The Ballad of Michael Valentine. You know, my brother never wears sunglasses. Um, <laughs> hates him. But at any rate, uh, I, I digress. I don't, you know, I'm sure if I thought long and hard, I could think uh, about some more Nephites. But I always just remember, I remember driving by and they go, as we went I was like, oh, yeah, that's Nephi over there. And I looked, and I didn't see anything. <laughs> and next thing you know, we're on our way to Salt Lake City. So, so apologies to your, you guys in your hometown, but I don't even think we pulled over. Maybe. Is there a gas station or something there off the side of the road? Yeah, there's a couple. A couple gas yeah. stations. So we yeah. probably stopped at the gas station to smell the air or something. And, like, Brandon pointed over to something and said that's where you know yeah. smooched a gal made <laughs> a pact no no I didn't, there wasn't like any like big wise insightful words about nephi i'm sorry god sorry that's all right Wyatt on the show and i'm sure he'll tell you all the nephi stories yeah i see him periodically but he just pops into places he he keeps in, in touch with the boys. I'll say that. All right. Well, going going back to that first tour, Killer Mania is about ready to take off. Are you there for the the rise, or yeah. do you yeah, go back to Vegas? Was, 
Yeah, I was there. I worked with the band pretty, you know, besides like periodically getting laid off and rehired. I worked with them from that February till oh eight, all through Samstown's tour cycle. So album one, album two, I was very much hanging around the studio at the Palms during the making of Samstown. So I worked through 08, 09. So what's it like whatever. seeing them go from these little clubs, you know, putting 14 people in Lawrence, Kansas to, to fill out arenas around the world? Like, what's that like? It, it was very exciting for them. Um, I, I I got to meet a lot of heroes. You know, it, it's kind of interesting. You know, you go, you play a show, and all of a sudden, and I think one of the first, let's see, early on, like David Bowie comes to a show. Bowie. <laughs> Bowie. And then, but Bowie was kind of cool. He kind of had his hat down low. And then he like sloughed, sloughed off to the side, you know. And I never really got to meet Bowie. That was at Irving Plaza. I remember Bowie came by. Oh, here's a good one. You guys can fill in the dates. Whenever Live, remember Live 8? Uh, that was huge. Biggest concert of all time, you know. I think we took a red-eye flight from... Uh, I had no clue what the, I didn't know who any of these people were. I didn't know the history. I was kind of, this was one, a gap in my, my knowledge. And I just knew we were going to play in the park. It was a big benefit, I, but things were happening. I told you we did 19, 29 shows, 30 days. I was, you know, it was a whirlwind and I usually was driving the whole time. So I wasn't sleeping. I was kind of, had a little too much uh what is that that they sell at the gas station in nephi truckers love it truckers love it yeah the ephedrine yeah i was probably drinking one too many truckers love it back then okay and thoughts weren't connecting it was all just a big a big uh haze for me and you know I, I, live eight so i get i hadn't slept we'd taken some red eye to london i have no clue what's going on i don't even know who's playing and i get into my hotel room and i start hearing this acoustic guitar i open up my door getting ready to crash i don't know if you boys have ever flown you know vegas to london but when you get there and get through customs and finally get to the hotel you just want to like you just kind of take this weird sleep in the middle it's like nine in the morning and you took off you just don't know what time it is and i'm about to take that sleep which is both the best and the worst sleep of your life. You know, it's nine in the morning and you feel like you're going to bed finally at the end of the night. No, no, it must have been noon or one. Because I start hearing this acoustic guitar come in through the beautiful summer air in London. And guess what? It's Pink Floyd. What? Playing bam, bam, bam. So, so you think you can tell heaven from hell. Blue skies from rain. Can you t and and I'm like, oh, that's Pink. Wait a second, Pink Floyd hasn't played in like 20 years, <laughs> and they had, and I had this little pass to get me in because I was working the event the next day. I went over and I watched Pink Floyd with maybe 20 other people. Wow, how about that? Cool brag, huh? And uh, so that was one of the early perks where I was like, okay. And now the killers were the new kids on the block. They were like, had the worst time slot. But then, you know, met Elton John, Paul McCartney, so many people that day. I met Paul McCartney the next day. And, you know, Elton John used to pop in the shows. He loved Brandon back then. 
I met, uh, oh, I remember uh, one of my cool jobs was they're like, hey, Bono's here at the show, you know, and well, and yeah. and I, <laughs> you know, I'd have to go escort Bono backstage or or Oasis would be at the show in London and I'd have to, it'd be my job. My cool jobs were like, you know, go bring Bruce Springsteen backstage, Ryan, you know, those are kind of <laughs> But, you know, sometimes these people are really nice. Sometimes they just looked right through me, you know. Mostly that was, I'll tell you this. If you talk to a lot of people that have been on the road with the band all these years, they'll tell you that they, I was there for the funnest part. And we had a great time. We were partying a little. We were having drinks. We were at nightclubs. I think like freaking uh, what's his name? Prince Harry. We partied with Harry. I didn't even know. So I, you know, now that Harry's a big deal, right? I don't. I didn't know. Who, you know, I was like, oh, some prince. I don't know. You know, but these are people that we were partying with. They were showing you, know, oh, Prince Harry's here at the show. Like, okay, great, big deal. You know. Well, now that I saw the Netflix show, I know he's a bit of a big deal. Okay. And and. Uh, no, it's true. I did. I had partied with like, you know, we'd had a really weird night in Dublin with Bono, where Bono was just kind of like muttering, like, you know, he's talking about charity. And then he was just kind of going on non sequitur after non sequitur. It was, but it's Bono. So you're just like, wait a second, this got to be headed somewhere. <laughs> no, it's not. One night with the boys and they got asked to open up for you too shortly maybe that night it's fourth of july we're playing the most un-american place you can imagine uh poland we're opening <laughs> up you two in poland on the fourth of july and it still looks like bombed out communism there's like the big blow horns on the speakers you know where they can make the soviet announcements i'm like this place is weird and uh yeah, we opened up for Bono. Bono's just coming back, hanging out with us at this point. Loves the guys. Hey, guys, you want to jump on my plane? Oh, yeah, that's a bad accent. Anyway, you want to jump on the plane and uh, and fly with us to Berlin? Now, Brandon's always been terrified of uh, flying. And so guess what? Who? So everybody got to fly with you two back to Berlin from Katowice, except Brandon wanted to go on the bus so he needed me so i and wyatt so me wyatt and brandon took the bus that night from from katowice poland to berlin and that was the night that brandon wrote human wow. i said don't say are you human are we dance don't do that let's work on that one i'm just kidding but yeah that was uh that was the night and we told we got drunk and uh listened to willie nelson and wyatt loves willie and and wyatt and i had a great time we, that was like really fun even though i was always disappointed here's the thing i hated the bus so i got punished um i thought i was gonna die on the bus and brandon thought he was gonna die in the airplane so it was uh, it wasn't good for me. I never, I didn't really ever sleep a lot. So, any other fun stories I can tell? Hmm. You know, those are a few I think good ones. 
I think, you know, I definitely remember that was the night he wrote Human. That's pretty good for your listeners. So the band is doing that song Tranquilize. You guys recall that? Yeah. Yeah. So the killers put out some feelers. Brandon's working on the song. I think he had some lyric in there. We're I'm not taking any credit for anything, but I was helping Brandon with a few lyrics on that song. And just maybe to don't misread this. Yeah. Uh, this I was just helping him straighten up, but all I'm trying to say is I, I kind of knew the song intimately and it helped Brandon with a couple of lines and changing this around, maybe don't want to pretend or I'm taking credit. All I'm saying is I was intimately involved with the song. So we're in the sound factory in New York. Band has never met Lou Reed. He has agreed to record the song Tranquilize. It was a huge moment. And 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 so I'm sitting there in the lobby of what is it, the Sound Factory, New York, a place where John Lennon and all these legends have recorded all this amazing music. And uh, Lou Reed walks in. And the reason I, t- I gave you that lead up is because Lou and I start going over the lyric changes. Like Lou's like, I don't like that lyric. I think Brandon said, Mickey D's eating some French fries. And, you know, there's some funny lines in there and, and, and they've been changed. Lou didn't like saying Mickey D's eating some French fries. See, Brandon really loves Mickey D's. I forgot about that. Is that in the song? Did that lyric make it in the song? Can Mickey D's? Or- Mickey D's eating some french fries. That got taken out. Okay. (laughs) I'm not joking. That's real. Okay. And and so I'm going over the lyrical changes with Lou Reed. And he's like, all right, man, let's get in there. Let's do it, he says to me. And then I say, and I'm like uh, talking to Lou Reed here about, you know, a song. And uh, one of the greatest uh, artists of, the 20th century, great lyricist, the you know, I, I, the king of cool. I don't know what you call me, but uh, so he said, "Yeah, let's get in there, let's get to work," you know. And, that's and then I realize, you know, Lou Reed thinks I'm in the band, <laughs> and, and and I said, "Oh, I, I'm not, I'm not the band." <laughs> and he goes, he suddenly, his face goes cold. He goes, Where's the band? He walks off. But for two minutes, guys, I got to talk to Lou Reed. (laughs) And he thought I was in the band. Ooh, here's another one. Maybe bigger. Definitely bigger. Um, It was 2000. A year did Obama get elected? 2008. In the campaign lead up, we decided to go Bill Clinton is stumping you know for for obama right and mark and uh cooning want to go you know just go and then they go mark's like hey i think we can meet bill clinton if we go we can talk to the label like all right yeah yeah, sure whatever guys dave's just like okay uh and uh and he's like yeah let's go meet clinton so we go to meet bill clinton well, we didn't know we were going to meet him. We go to see him speak, and then afterwards they tell us, now you can meet the president, Bill. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool, right? So we get in this line of, I don't know, 50 people or 105, you know, the, the VIPs, probably like the local mayor and state assembly people, local politicians and 
you know, probably the weather man or something is waiting. <laughs> and you can, tell, you can tell, you know, somebody goes up to him and you got to stand back and then they weave you up. All right, your turn. Now you can go meet the president. And, and uh, you know, you see the Secret Service or whoever his handler is. These are the killers, you know. So I'm standing in the middle. <laughs> so Bill comes up and says, hey, guys, it's really nice to meet you. And then he looks me straight in the eye, like right into the, you know, my soul. He goes, you've got a very incredible voice. People listen to you when you speak. You can use your voice for change. You can change the world. And I was like, really, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, he had no clue. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Maybe he was referring to the Christmas songs that were about to come. Maybe. He could, he could see into your soul. Maybe he was just a Santa fan or knew or watched questions with Captain and really knew, you know, that the, the effects I had. So. So let's go into let's go into Santa. How uh, how did you become Santa? That's probably what most of our, our viewers listeners know you from. And mm -hmm. uh, how did that trilogy come to be? Okay, well before the trilogy, we did the first one. Uh, they did the first uh, song. You remember Great Big Sled? Yep. You you, you watched the video, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm in that video as well. That was really just. I don't even know how that came to be as far as like the the idea was it was actually Thanksgiving Day. Was it Thanksgiving Day? We waited till Thanksgiving to record the Great Big Sleigh and then released it for Christmas. But we were in London and it was cold and rainy. We we're at Mark Knopfler studio and we got to decide, okay, guys, we this song we want. You know, this was one of Brandon's like, I got an idea moments. That's their best Christmas song. But uh, he's like, we'll record a song and we'll have Thanksgiving dinner and we'll pretend that, you know, the crew are elves and Santa, Ryan, you be Santa. So we recorded the video and I just got dressed as Santa and, and you saw me like Brandon sits on my lap. That was all just us spending a day together. It was a day off on the road on that hot fuss tour, which was so grueling. Right? Was that too, what year was that? Was that so hot fuss? I think that was... All a blur. A lot of truckers love it, guys. A lot of truckers love it. Um, and and uh, uh, so that happened. So what happened then? Okay, so Don't Shoot Me Santa is where the trilogy truly begins. I'll try to cut to the chase. because. But it got decided I'd be Santa. And I don't know how... There was no talk at that point of Christmas album, you know? That didn't come, and there was no talk of me recurring as Santa at that point. That was never, that wasn't premeditated. I think, I think we were playing a show, a music festival in Budapest. Must have been late fall. We're staying at a hotel in Budapest. I don't think anyone had anything to do. I think I remember sitting in my hotel room, and Brad's like, "Hey, Ryan, you want to come down to my room? I'm recording a song with Ted." And I want you to, can you be like Santa Claus? So that was Don't Shoot Me Santa. 
So we started working on that and, you know, my, I don't know, I think we recorded just most of that in that hotel room that night. They went and finished it up in the studio. When we got back to Vegas, but here's where I make history. Uh, I said, hey, guys, I got this friend, Matthew Gray Goobler. And he's on this show, Criminal Minds, but he went to NYU. And I went to high school with him. He was like my Brandon Flower. You know, we went to acting school. And um, and I, I slept on his floor in New York at... Uh, uh, when he was at NYU in 2001, January 2001, I slept on his floor for a month and helped. I was in a lot of his early college films. And I I said, he's kind of becoming a big deal. And, and he was. And Brandon thought that was a good idea. So I reached out to Matthew, who had never met the killers, or had only... Maybe basically met him once or twice. I didn't really know him. But, it, it, you know, Matthew was my friend. And I kind of put that together. The video is what makes that, obviously, you know. So I'll tell you, when we did Don't Shoot Me, Santa, I was still DJing when I'd come off the road. There was a big event called The Get Back. And I was DJing till four in the morning. And probably... Drinking some more truckers love it, along with some vodka soda that night. And uh, I showed up, as you would say, bleary-eyed to that shoot. So a lot, uh, you know, I had to dig deep, but there was, in some of my psychotic uh, episodes, there was, yeah, it was real. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, it was just a sleepless delusion. And, and but I put that together with Matthew, and uh, you know, and it was obviously a big hit. And uh, yeah, the rest of they say is uh, the, well, the history. It uh, it's been rated one of the worst Christmas songs of all time by Rolling Stone. Uh, they make mistakes, even they make mistakes. And uh, it's been on a lot of top twenty worst Christmas songs of all time lists. It's also the Killers' number one Christmas song. Boom. And they've had Elton John and Owen Wilson. And, and so, so by the way, we raised over a million dollars with the Christmas songs and for the red campaign, guess who's, who's, whose picture they put on. Did they put Elton John on the cover? No, <laughs> no. Did they print a t-shirt with Elton John's face on it that sold out immediately? No. Okay. It was me, but um, you know, it's all for charity. So <laughs> no, it was all good stuff, and and yeah, it was, a, it was a hit. And then we did the second one. It's weird because the second one happened in 2012. I'd actually left the band at that time. hadn't I was like not on speaking terms, but I don't see them all the time when they're, you know. So that was what 2012. I got a call. I recorded my vocal part at their studio here, Battleborn Studios. I never saw them once. They were in London when they filmed their parts in that video. It was surreal. I mean, it's a good video. But I really like Dirt Sledding the most. Uh, and and as far as my performance, because, you know, it's always about me. <laughs> and uh, you know, and I, I, I get to say that time I worked with Richard Dreyfus. 
again, I never met Richard Dreyfus, but I said, uh, I like to say, you know, Richard Dreyfus and I set aside our differences in the spirit of Christmas. <laughs> and, you know, that time I collaborated with Academy Award winning actor Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Dirt sledding, of course. Everyone knows. <laughs> uh, and that, that, that's a bit. And some people, I'm not saying, you know, here's a question for you. Uh, you know, is, does the Santa trilogy follow Brandon and I's real relationship in real life? And the, 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 the lyrical content and uh, from the falling outs and the getting backs together. So there was some of that and the, and there's some truth to Brandon and I's falling out and getting back and, and over the years. And some say it follows the, the, the trilogy pretty well. So, including me haunting them in their dreams in 2012. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, th those were those were the best of times. 04, I'll say to 08, a lot changed. It became a lot, much more business-like. But for a brief moment, what I want to tell is a story of, you know, there was a, six of us in a van with the whole world, you know, out there in front of us. And it was kind of a cool moment. And I got to... I bought the uh, ride and I took the, I took the ride and I got to I, it was a hell of an adventure I'm telling you for us there's kind of a blank time from when we knew Brandon in high school to when he moved to Vegas you know this reserved golfer um, yeah what year that tell me help me out so he was a he was a junior in high school so it would have been 96 97 and we then a few years later we start hearing killer songs on the radio and seeing him on MTV and the OC and so from 97 to really 2004 yeah and i like i didn't even know he played the piano you know we had our church seminary classes with him where we would you know we start the class by singing a hymn we didn't know he was going to be an international rock star or had these great pipes or anything and suddenly yeah, like, he's he's and by the way, artist and singer of this band he was uh, very bashful early on too he used to just get up on stage and look at his feet the whole time you know, even on Hot Fuss, he really didn't come out of his shell till. Well, once the record came out, then he became the showman. And now I think that's really his claim to fame. All those early shows uh, in Vegas, he was, uh, you know, just kind of got up there and stared at his feet the whole show. He he didn't become the master showman until the world it became, you know, called him. And then, then he, he became the performer. So it doesn't surprise me that he sat in seminary and and didn't say a whole lot, you know, as a poor little Prosecco. Um, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, even in the Las Vegas music scene, he's very polite, shy, reserved. You know, my first memories of him, like I said, he was probably drinking a couple of Coors Light to just get the nerve together to sing. He was so, uh, he, he was crippled with, uh, with fear and, 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 and shyness, really. Do you know at what point he upgraded his from his Geo Metro? To a different car? No. <laughs> I feel like that sounds like the right car, though. Looking back at sunsets on the east side. I feel like he was driving the Geo Metro in that song when he wrote it. I don't know that. I just had a visual. You know, I just had a vision of him driving around Vegas at night in a Geo Metro. Um, 
No, I, I don't know when he got out of the Geo Metro. I do remember him driving some piece of crap. But I can't remember. You want to hear about the killer? I think, uh, so this is pre-hot fuss. I think it's Christmas night. I used to have a huge Christmas party every year. This is Christmas night, 2003. Mark drives his piece of crap car over to my Christmas party. I think we were talking, I talked to my landlord. No, I had a cell phone but he didn't have a cell phone not everyone had cell phones he goes hey i'm gonna come to your christmas party so this is like yeah just three months before my my birthday and suddenly mark shows up to my christmas party and goes hey my car's on fire <laughs> i'm like what said, starting to catch on fire what it's a, it's around the corner like, so we hop in the car and sure enough, right as we get there, Mark's entire shalapi is engulfed in flames. Oh my God. That was on Christmas night at my house. That's a good one. That's a good early day story. But uh, not a Nephi or a Brandon story. I'll never forget the night the tour bus picked us up at our house. So it was, de- it was decided that the night that the killers graduated from that van I told you about was just Wyatt and I too. We're on a tour bus now. It was decided that the tour bus would pick the band and everybody up would meet at my house. So I can't give you the exact date on that. But that was, uh, we were getting ready to go to San Diego to play with uh, the AAS. But that was the first time on the tour bus. And I remember Tana and Brandon were just making out in the car for like, like they're never going to see each other. Like they were playing Kissy Face. And it was just making out. Like and then Brandon's like, all right, guys, let's go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. At any rate, that that was a, there's a little Brandon and Tana story. We had the a Star Trek moment of our own a couple of days ago. We were able to interview Matt Pinfield. Ah. Uh, he told us about just out of the blue. He was just telling us stories of interactions with the killers, and he told us about how he's a big fan of Criminal Minds and. I, I do. Yeah, and he said somebody in the band or somebody with the band was able to set it up for me to to meet him, and I was I figured it was you. Yeah, so I, I'm a big golf fan, right? So there's this local sports bar around the corner from my house, and I decided I, it was the Masters weekend, and and I I met Matt Pinfield the night before, and Matthew says to me, and I, and I also knew Matthew was in town, and Matthew calls me and says. Man, I can date a girl unless they know who Matt Pinfield is. Matthew Goobler says this to me. <laughs> and I said, what are you talking about? I just met Matt Pinfield last night. I got his number. So I see Matt Pinfield again. It was over this festival weekend. So I was kind of, and Pinfield was at the bunkhouse. What is this? When did Matt, when did we meet Matt Pinfield? Jeez, this guy, it's a little sad story. He's sober now. So this is a good story. We get really drunk with Matt Pinfield. I, you know, I'm a professional. I, I just have a few drinks, but uh, Matt Pinfield, well, we'll start with, I, I I say, hey, oh, yeah. He tells me he's a big fan. Somehow it comes up that I'm friends with Matthew, and the, the, don't shoot me saying, like, he's the hugest Goob fan. And, and uh, I was like, well, he's my buddy. Let me just call him up. So... It was Masters weekend, and they finally they both call and say that they 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 both t- they're like, yeah, we were available to meet. And I'm like, well, 
kind of want to watch the Masters. So I made them both meet me at a sports bar where on like a 20-foot screen, I was watching like Phil Mickelson, you know, flop wedges. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and so while I was watching the Masters, I introduced Matt Pinfield and Matthew Gubler. That's cool. And then I hung out with Matt Pinfield and for like 12 hours. Uh, I think he went sober like right after that. And he's been sober for a long time since. So there's a, it's not all sad, but at one point he was crying and he was eating some pasta with that black squid ink. I'm talking about, a, uh, never mind. <laughs> there's a ink all over and he was really sad. And, and he was talking about a girl. Always a girl, guys. Always a girl. Always a girl. Wyatt breaking Wyatt's heart, breaking Matt Pinfield's heart. It's all heartbreaking stuff. Breaking old Brandon's heart. You want to hear a funny? Okay, here's one. Let's speculate. This conspiracy theory. What do you guys think? Who is Mr. Brightside? Who is she just smooching? It was only a kiss. It was only a kiss. You ever thought about that? Hmm. I've heard it suggested. Now, I have no evidence. This is total rumor mill, right? But hey, it's coming from me. I don't know if this is true. But I heard that, uh, you know, there is some crossover points here that Matthew Gubler is Mr. Brightside, that she was, is it possible? Is it possible? That'd be well, a tough, cost him some fans. You know, you'd have to... You'd have to go uh, do some investigative journalism, see who Matthew was dating at the time, who Brandon was dating, and there was a Mormon connection, boys. All right, link it together. You can imagine, and Matthew is quite the ladies' man, but like smooching the ladies. <laughs> could, could have, could Brandon have been driving his Geo Metro one night, looking around, going to his girlfriend? on a big, rather large Mormon estate on the west side. I know the property. And maybe he was driving by and Goobler was there. I remember Goobler was driving like a Toyota 4Runner. You know? Was he over there smooching with this? Well, I won't name names. <laughs> it's possible. Anything's possible. Right? Possible. All right, let's throw out some theories. Might as well get all conspiracy theory late in the interview. So... Uh, any rate, that's uh, any other fun questions or I wanted to give you a chance to talk about Halloween Town. Um, I started writing Halloween Town songs while I was on the road for the Killers. You know, it's it's interesting. I I have my grievances with the band. Who doesn't have grievances with their old boss? You know, but um, you know, I um, they I wanted to do my own thing, and I wrote a really great record. And and during that time, I was going through a really difficult period um our family my father was a professional poker player we were kind of losing our house just like a lot of people in 08 you know and i was having a little bit of a tough time mentally i felt like i i kind of had uh, i'd seen it all but i was sitting I, i'll tell you all right so i remember this is a good wholesome christian story i was in rio and i was uh out there swimming in the ocean i don't know near the copacabana or whatever it was the hotel and all of a sudden i got i don't know if i got stung by a jellyfish or whatever but i thought i had i didn't know it or all of a sudden i started feeling these shooting stabbing pains 
through my chest. And I'm sitting there in the water in Rio de Janeiro. And I look up, and above me, boys, Christ the Redeemer up on the mountains, you know? Jesus up there, you know, the famous Christ the Redeemer. And uh, I was like, well, hell's bells. This is how I'm going out. <laughs> uh, Rio de Janeiro. I was like, man, I didn't even write my own record. Oh, I'm going to die. So then Dave Fitty peed on me, and I was all good. And then we went to Australia. And I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? I was like, I want to write this record. And we were, I think the killers had officially conquered the world now at this point. I couldn't give you a date on this, but this is the day I decided I was going to quit. Uh, we were, and go make the Halloween Town record. Also towards the end of a tour, but we were, I, I don't know if the promoter had gotten owned or had access to the second largest yacht in Sydney. I don't know if you know about yachts in Sydney, but second largest one's pretty big, really big. And we're out there on a beautiful day sailing and, uh, you know, we're eating lobster that's being served to us by the staff I'm a little bubbly and jumping in the ocean. Just I was like, all right, what else is there? You know, I don't need to be eating lobster on yachts. I am a Las Vegas guy, you know? And so, so then I came back and I started working on that. And I, I worked on those songs and really that song's about, that's, you know, that's my Las Vegas record. That's my record of uh, period. Uh, Vegas is a tough town does a lot of heavy stuff. I was going through some heavy thoughts at the time. I wrote that record. Uh, I was losing friends and it just wasn't, didn't really fit in. I just went, went on a writing spree myself. Some of those lyrics. Yeah. I wrote that faster bullet song. That was like a 20 minute song. I had to cut that down to three and a half minutes. Wow. I remember that one of the first songs I played for Brandon was the Christmas song, which Brandon, it was just kind of me like, you know, flipping the bird to the, the not to the killers quite, but also just like, oh, you want me to, people are like, you gotta write a Christmas song. So I wrote a song about, you know, somebody, a desperately sad Christmas for a Vegas degenerate. And, uh, and then I, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I wrote songs about my family you know, that's a Las Vegas record. If they're, that, that, that's a record of a family of gamblers and what Vegas can do to you. Um, proud of it. A lot of great people played on it. Played some great shows. Didn't ever really do anything with it. And then you just, I just haven't felt super motivated to write much. I played uh, a couple weeks ago. I missed our last interview. Uh, I had a lot going on, but also I was, I, I, I was, uh, curating a memorial for another great Vegas musician who passed and I played a few songs for that I played Faster Bullet did I play Faster Bullet? Yeah I did it's about somebody leaving too early and um, you know I revisit but to me those songs are like a time capsule it's coming out of this killer mania and I kind of wanted to write the antithesis to pop music and I, I just wanted to write a, a real Las Vegas record from you know about and and yeah, I don't know if I should have quit the killers, but also I, I also know I don't I didn't want to be 
you know, one of those guys who's been on the road for 20 years who has a nickname like, oh, Krusty. We used to call him Captain. Now we just call him Krusty. <laughs> and I didn't want to, you know, there was this bus driver on Hot Fuss. His name was Jack. Has anyone ever told the story of Jack? I don't know. Jack was like, had a hunchback. Talked like a captain. Like, you know, we turn the generator off. Uh, we could get 1,200 miles. Turn the generator off. We get 1,200. And he had a big hoop earring and like a little stubby hand. Yeah, he'd been his his hunched back was because he'd been driving the bus like thousands across thousands. I was like, oh man, I don't want to wind up like Jack, just like hunched over a steering wheel. Jack always referred to the killers as his boys. My boys, where's my boys? That's my band. You know, I was like, no. <laughs> the reason he didn't get the call back, but oh, one time. Sheesh, this is a, a quick one, Jack. We're driving. So the boys are playing in Columbus, Ohio. I'm the merchandiser at this point. And Jack is driving us from Columbus. The guys are playing for like Sega Genesis, some corporate thing. And I'm selling t-shirts. And it's like one of their early on, they, you know, they pay them like hundred thousand dollars or something. And early on, that that used to be a lot of money. <laughs> used to be. Uh, and, and, uh, so they're playing this show up there, private show. I'm the merchant editor. They're like, Hey Ryan, you just take the bus with Jack down to new Orleans. We're going to fly there. I think we're playing voodoo, the music festival down there, the voodoo, voodoo music festival. And so Jack and I drove from Columbus, Ohio to Niagara falls to new Orleans wow. in one shot without stopping. <laughs> wow. And there was a little bit of truckers love it. No, uh, but but uh, it there. Uh, so Jack, this is like obscenely long drive. And at one point, it's just me and Jack in the bus. And Jack's like, "Hey Ryan, why don't you grab the wheel for a few hundred miles?" I've never driven the bus. Yeah. So Jack's, I'm like, so what are you gonna pull over? He's like, nope, we're not pulling over to New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And and so I kind of swiveled underneath Jack and Jack kind of shimmied over me. It was a little, you know, without pulling over. I moved under, Jack moved out, and I drove the bus. Jack sat up there with me for about 30 minutes. And I drove the killer's tour bus, I don't know, three, four hundred miles. Nobody can believe that story. But I did it. And and, and without a license, and I, I've kind of, and then I was one point I was driving through like construction in Nashville while Jack was sleeping, and I, everything. There's no one to kill. I couldn't have killed the band. I could have just killed myself and Jack. But I got it. I got the that time. I got us to the show on time. There's a million stories about getting the band to the show on time. About things that coulda, woulda, shoulda, flying through hurricanes. You know, those, we could go down that rabbit hole. But you know, I. uh I didn't, my, the point of the story was these guys that are on the road, they don't make a ton of coin and they make okay livings. I'm not going to say, you know, but uh, they're away from them. I wouldn't, so back to me, you know, I'm having babies here. You know, I wouldn't want to do that and and be gone, not, you know, nine, 10 months out of the year. You know, for Brandon, he could fly out Tana or if you're the band, he can kind of 
get these perks but for road dogs you know it's it's not a, it's not a great life i mean there's a few people that make the best of it and i respect those people and they're my friends but also it's uh you know it's it's not a glorious work and i think i was there for just the right amount of time i captured just the moment you know where I got to eat that lobster, but I also got to be there in Lawrence, Kansas. I got to be there when they're playing from 25 people and then a hundred thousand people at Glastonbury. You know, I got to meet all my McCartney's and Bowie's, uh, Morrissey's, you know, I mean, I met all my heroes that did all this. I bought the ticket. I took the ride and, and now anyone's looking to buy or sell real estate in Las Vegas, you give me a call. Yeah. So where uh, where can they find you? What's all your socials? If somebody wants to get a hold of you, buy a house or do whatever. My name. It's just my name, Ryan Party. Uh, R Y A N P. You know, I'm I'm easy to find. It's as it's spelled everywhere. You look me up. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. My 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 email is Ryan Party at Gmail. My real estate one's Ryan at Party House, spelt like my last name. That's right. <laughs> uh but but yeah so i was out schlinging schlinging houses all day today and it's not glorious but you know what i'm in bed by you know i got yeah. home at six and uh you know i can sleep and uh and uh, i'm sleeping at night i'm not in a coffin moving 80 miles an hour uh, which is what i always felt like the bus was and and i'm doing well everything's really it's great it's not like but I'm about to oh, we'll call like everything I told you guys about like up till now has been like part one. Now I'm going to start the second part. There's been ups and downs through my life, but most I'm pretty grateful for the life I've lived and the things I've seen and the experiences I was allowed to have. You know, I, I, I enjoy uh, going through and remembering some of these things. I also felt like, you know, I, I had my own identity to carve out and I just didn't want to be on the road with the band my whole life, you know, but it was cool. For, it was a spectacular time to be a part of it. Uh, I think everyone will tell you I was there for the best part too. So no regrets. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I didn't go on, they played here in Vegas on New Year's Eve. I didn't go, but, uh, but that's because, you know, I'm not going to take my wife to the strip on New Year's Eve, you know, but they all invited me to come down. I kind of want to see Brandon. He wants to buy a house. No, uh, just, just just wanted to just like seeing those guys, and I don't know. It's not that much fun when I see them because usually now, when we run into them, it's at a show, and you know, it's just getting ready. It's real business like, and there's all these barriers between you actually getting to see them. They'll let me through. I can old Cappy can still swing on back, and all the crew guys that'll give me. You know my pass. I get in where no. I, I still have all the access, um, but I, I haven't been part of the the day to day in a long time. Well, you've I, been on the cover of Las Vegas Weekly. You've been on Jay Leno, and now you've been on Lonely Town, a Killers podcast. That's right. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, well, you know, it, it was a it was fun, and I like sipping on a little wine and 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 reliving the past. So. This is Ryan Party. This is another episode down from Lonely Town. <laughs>